Thank you ladies so much for coming, giving me your time, your precious time on a Saturday. And I know it's not easy, and I appreciate it. And some of you mentioned, oh, you know, maybe we don't have the turnout like we would like. There is never a good time. Okay, so don't feel bad. We moved it from February to March because of the weather. There are always ball games. There will always be sicknesses. There will always be other things. Graduations. I've been speaking since 1982 all over the United States. And everywhere I went, there was always, why did we do it on this day? We maybe should have gone on this day. Ladies' days to my sadness are dying out. I used to have 5,000, I mean 500, even 1,000 in audience. Now I'm glad to have 100. We are not spiritual anymore. The women work, and I don't blame them. Saturday is the wash day, the game day, everything. They do not have time to come here. So I appreciate you giving your time to us here. And it's beautiful. The ladies worked so hard. I, everywhere I look, I can see how much work went into it. And it's just beautiful, from the, from the beautiful you know, uh, brochures to the, the beautiful uh, reception in, in the rooms up there, the food and everything. Everybody who worked so hard. I'm not naming them. I don't know you. I know you others know who worked so hard. Now, thank you. And Mary, thank you for that kind introduction. And you know, I love you, and, but I, I was glad when you sat down. And, uh, and as you mentioned, my precious daughter-in-law is here, and she's Dita's wife, and you met her, so I'm not going to make her stand up. But she is just such a help to me, over and over, every day. So I uh, thank you, darling, so much. <coughs> I was telling Mary yesterday when, when we were visiting, many times people think, well, I'm talking about my life <clears throat> during the war. And that is my main thing, what, what we suffered during the war and maybe after. But I said, Mary, I need to sometimes remember that I lived 13 years under communism. And these were hard years indoctrination. I mean, I was totally indoctrinated into the system. And then at age 19, when I came to West Germany, it was very hard to suddenly be a Westerner and think like one and act like one. So the, it's, this is just life. You never get away from hardships and trials and unpleasantness. So it just doesn't end, so don't act it and don't expect it. I'm 84 and, and I don't expect it to end. Others, other trials are coming. So God gives us strength, and that is the most wonderful thing. We can make it. And if we are miserable here, so what? 20 years, 25 years, 30, 50? Heaven is our home. When I was speaking one time, a lady was just crying in, in the front seat, and I I said later, so sorry that I upset you with my story. She said, oh no, as you were talking, I was just thinking, my, my suitcases are packed. I am leaving my husband tomorrow. And I said, 
you cannot see any out? No, I cannot, I cannot. Well, after she heard more of my story and all this, she came to me, she says, you're right. What, what is it in comparison to eternity in heaven? We can make it all. So don't feel sorry for yourself. That's the worst thing you can do. Let's just face our trials. And I love, I love the topic that you gave me. Uh, so much, you know, I'm, I'm upset many times because of political correctness. We are not allowed to say what we want to say. And in a lesson like this, I would love to say so many other things that are trials for me. What I see is happening in America, the land that I loved so much when I came. But again, we are not so free anymore here. There are so many things I may not say. And 9-11, everybody said, pray, pray, on the steps of the Capitol, on everywhere, at school. Now we've forgotten about it. Now we get punished when we go up there and pray or have a Bible on our te desk when you work or something. To me, America is not free anymore. So my freedom is where? In Christ. When I can go to sleep and not worry that I've sinned and what's going to happen to my soul, I know if I repent, I'm forgiven. And that's freedom. And I just pray that God has mercy on America and blesses us 200 more years, but I don't see it. I think I'll start my lesson because otherwise I preach. <laughs> I was born in 1939 in April and the war started in, in September. We had a wonderful life. For five years, we had every luxury, for many reasons, I won't go get into it, but my father was also a member of the Nazi party, had a high-ranking uh, position, and we had a lot of prestige, a lot of wonderful things. My sister is eight years old, and she keeps telling me, do you remember all these toys we had, and do you remember this? I, I don't, but when other people suffered under the depression, wall depression even, we had everything plentiful. I did see a lot of military in our house. I remember when I woke up, a portrait of Hitler would greet me <coughs> in my living room, <coughs> and marches, and th that's what we lived, uniforms, and indoctrination. We are better than anybody else. We are the people. And do not play with this one, and do not talk to this one, because we are it. But we had some Jewish neighbors, and, and, and some butchers, and, and a cobbler. And I remember even as five years old, I asked questions. What happened to my butcher? He used to give me little pieces of meat. He said, oh, we don't know, he's gone. And, and the cobbler, he's gone. I played with those children sometimes when my parents didn't see. But no one wanted to accept that there was an evil man like Hitler who hated one race so badly that he wanted to exterminate them. And when I saw buses, lots of trucks, passed by our house, 
I was asking, why, why do we have so many buses and, and trucks? Because I like to play up there, ball and all that. We couldn't play anymore. There was just traffic. I was told, oh, you know, there is a war going on, and now we need to recycle. And so they are taking it all to the manufacturing company, tires and papers and rags. You know the manufacturing company was in Dachau, a concentration camp. And the Germans bought it all. Why? They did not want to see. Is this happening to us today in the United States? We go to sleep, we don't like things, but we do nothing about it. I many times would like to say, like, like Isaiah was told by, by God, by the prophet, open my eyes, Lord, that I may see, from Second Kings. We are asleep. I have articles where some journalists wrote, and they said, could America suffer or withstand what the Germans did? I don't know. I will tell you my lesson a little bit. I think our, our children are soft and spoiled. I don't know if they could make it. But the Germans did not want to see because Hitler, <coughs> overnight practically, created jobs. There was so much unemployment. Every third person was unemployed. There was suddenly work everywhere. There were cows. There was terrible cows in Germany. There were splinter parties, at least 20, 30 splinter parties, little bitty parties. The Communist Party was one of the strongest, and so were the Nazis. Well, we already knew what Russia had under communism, and the Germans were afraid. So was the whole Europe was afraid of communism. So naturally, the next thing they thought, we will be Nazis. We'll, we'll accept that. Here I want to say, and don't misunderstand me, please. I say, the Holocaust can never, never be forgotten. We may never, never say there was no such a thing. I have names of British historians who are washing down the Holocaust. But I, I do say that the Holocaust was so horrible that many nations could not even believe that such a thing could happen. Even when the Jews were trying to come to the United States, many were not received. We did not say. Europe closed the doors to a lot of the Jews. Some Jews did not believe that they will be hurt. They were saying, oh, we were told to just leave a little bit. And so we, we, we took a place up there on the, on the ocean. We're going to have a nice villa there. They took all the jewelry, everything they had. They were packed in trains, never to return. Went to Dachau, to Oschwenschim, to all these places. And yet the German people still did not believe it. When people came to, to check on Dachau, international committees came. What did they do? They had an orchestra playing, they planted flowers, they just looked a little bit, and they said, oh, it's not as bad as we were told. And um, you read books like Corrie ten Boom's The Hiding Place, and all these books, and you can see how horrible it was. We may never wash it down. And there's a tendency now. Another thing that worries me, there's a tendency to glorify Nazism again. 
You hear it all the time. They are attacking uh, synagogues. They are thinking it's wonderful. And many followers are there. I had students at Lipscomb whose uncle or, or other relatives were Nazi people, and they were sending me material and all that. It is scary, so we need to have our eyes open. But the German people chose not to. Oh, we have jobs. From chaos, suddenly, we were wonderful. Everything was in order. We were rich again. We had our lands back. We took all the lands back that we lost in World War I. What the Ver Versailles Treaty took away from us. So Hitler was just glorified. And we had a good life under Nazism. And many people say, how could you? Well, when I talked to children, I said, if you're on the right side, then, then you don't have to worry about it. And I, at that time, when I spoke a lot of schools, Hussein, you know, was still in power. I said, Hussein will put people in a, not threshing machine, but feet first, and then they turned on the, the, the motor and started cutting you from top to bottom while the family watched. And terrible tortures like this. I said, because he cannot stand that you're against him. I said, but if you're for him, the people were fine. I said, same thing happened to us. My father was with Hitler, so we had a wonderful life. The bad thing that happened to me during those years was when the war was escalating. And so not the Americans, not so much in my area, but the British and the Russians, the airplanes flew day and night. Thousands and thousands of bombs were falling. And I lost my grandmother in one of the attacks. And from then on, I was afraid that it will happen again. Just like perhaps you, if you lost somebody in a tornado, then from then on, you, you're afraid. But many times I spent all night in the basement. In a, in a, we had a wonderful, wonderful shelter. But still, it was, the air was stifled. It was dark. It was just terrible. And uh, thank you. And I hated it. And that probably was the first beginning of claustrophobia. And then you're so scared. The bombs are falling and the debris is coming into your windows. And I would like for you to notice several things. Uh, I have visual aids here. And on one of them, uh, <coughs> I went back for the first time, which is Poland today, in 40 years later. I left when I was 19, in 58, and I went back in 1998. And uh, I found the place where we lived. Nothing can be built. We own two big houses. Nothing can be built on it because it's still, it's really still rightfully ours. So it was just all there. But my friend who went with me, we found the basement. And it was all covered up with debris and tires, and we worked up there. And I have a picture standing there in front of that window. And <clears throat> I'd like for you to see so many other visual aids, please. Uh, <clears throat> but here's a map of Poland <clears throat> and of Europe. There's Poland. This used to be half of Germany. In, after the war, Stalin, Roosevelt, and Churchill 
at first at the Yalta conference and also with Potsdam conference, they decided what we are going to do with Germany. They were afraid that Germany might rise again. So we're going to really punish Germany and we had to pay billions of, of money to pay back. We were stripped of our land, we were partitioned. And so my home, Silesia, which was German, since I could look it up, maybe the earliest 1100s, uh, suddenly became Poland. Why? Because Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin said, <coughs> we are going to give this to Poland. Why give this to Poland? Well, <coughs> here's the Soviet Union, or ex-Soviet Union. Stalin said, I want 200 miles of the choicest land of Poland. You can have it. Everybody gave in to Stalin. I don't trust the Russians, I never did, I don't trust them to this day. But we were trying to, now we, pro, we are giving in to them because, oh, we don't want a World War III. Before then, oh, we need to appease Stalin, you know, we need to do everything to end this war. Well, this is how I lost my land. The, the Russians took 200 miles of Poland. What do we do with the Polish people after the war? Well, let's bring them to Silesia and settle them. So when we came back, and I will, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we came back from our, what I call, death march, the Polish people were greeting us. And as Mary said, they owned everything that we had that they plundered and didn't give it back to us. But I became a Polish citizen, indoctrinated to the Communist Party, from the time I was seven till I was 19. And this is, this is where, where I lived. Here's another map. Uh, this is Poland, this is Silesia. I was born up here in the corner. Here's Czechoslovakia. Here's East and West Germany. You know, they got, East and West Germany was reunited in 1991. The Berlin Wall came down in 1989 in August. When Raymond and I married in 1961, they were building the wall. In, uh, they started in August. We married on the 1st of September. No one was allowed to have any leave, but Raymond's commander said, you go and make a home, and we go and take care to not have a war. But again, the nations were watching while the wall was being built, just because we were afraid to give in to the Russians. But now they are united. And oh, I wish I had an hour for, who, for you who are historians to tell you the problems that are being created because two nations are now one. One was communist for years and the others were free. And the communists were told lies, like I was told lies. Every teacher had to tell lies. They couldn't tell the, the truth in the history or nothing. And now suddenly they all won. Big troubles. They did not learn how to work. You know, you had a job for life. If you worked or not. Many were drunk, they came to work drunk, or, or just did not show up, but you couldn't f be fired. Therefore, it collapsed. Communism collapsed because it just didn't, it didn't produce. So these are a lot of problems here now. But 
I, when we left Silesia, we went on a train to came, come to East Germany here. We took a train, went to Berlin, and from Berlin we came to West Germany when I was 19 years old. I will take one minute for that. Don't think that the, the wall was built. See, this is East Berlin. This is West Berlin. This is the only free part in a communist country. And that was a hardship. The Russians would not allow many times trucks to come and deliver food. I remember the airlifts. For years, we had airplanes coming to Berlin with so much food because the Russians said, you cannot come in. But we showed them we had airplanes coming. And so I, that's just a history that I can go on for hours, but th that would be enough now just to show you where I came from. So in 19, probably in 1945, in 1944, when I was six and a half, the, the airplanes started coming very, very often and destroyed so much. But we still had a good life. But in January of 1945, my father finally said, you cannot stay here. The Russians were very close to us. Not in some parts of Silesia, 60 miles. So but my father says, you have to escape. Well, we're supposed to have had a trek and a trek leader. But at the end of war, you know, the war ended in May of 1945. There was nothing. No, no one cared what I'm supposed to do, and, and there, were, there were no trucks for us, there were no, no transportation. We had our legs, and we walked. Sometimes we walked 10 miles, sometimes 20 miles a day, sometimes even more, in sub-freezing temperatures. This was the, one of the worst winters in Europe. My brother, before he died, told me that in the mountains, it sometimes registered minus 40. Uh, I don't see how we walked in min minus 40. Maybe a mile or two, just to get somewhere to shelter. But I know I had frostbites on my forehead, on my feet, and once we could not carry anything. My mother first had her fur coats and her jewelry, and here we walk, you know. Very quickly, you drop everything. You cannot, you're exhausted. So we dropped things, one after another. We did not even have a change of clothes at the end. The freezing rains came. We were soaking wet, ice and snow covering our bodies. There was no way to relieve yourself. You would go on the side of the road, and at the beginning, you at least could strip your clothes. At the end, when the clothes were frozen to your body, you did it through your clothes. People were dying. This is what they call the death march. People were left, mostly older people and babies. We had a baby in, in a stroller. Her name was Eve. We, my brother had a rope around him, and he pu pulled the stroller, and some of us pushed, but there was no food. She died of starvation and exposure. I've seen mothers begging, give me a little bread. You still have a little bread? Let me chew it up for my baby. No, your baby is going to die anyway, but I'm still alive. My, my grandfathers were almost tramped to death, trampled to death, because people were just trying to maybe 
reach a barn or a stable or just somewhere where they could hide. And no one cared. There was no, no love, no care. I, I don't say it facetiously, but many times I say, you know, if I did not have this one family that I will mention to show some love for me, I probably would have not become a Christian. I would have lost faith in humanity. They were so mean. Everybody was so mean. When a, a woman would take a baby, put it in that snow, and maybe she, she shared her last little scarf or something when she was freezing, but she gave the scarf and wrapped that baby. And that was the burial. No one cared. People would just walk by, and it was just terrible. I hope we never get to that point that we don't have any mercy and compassion to people, for people. But don't be so judgmental, perhaps, because you don't know in a situations like this what we will do. I pray that I would be brave. I pray that I would help, but I don't know. We are so geared toward survival that we probably would just do anything to survive. These were terrible times. We, what did we eat? Well, definitely there was no one to come give us food. For a few days you had maybe your bread, maybe some meat. After we, we walked six weeks, after a while you have nothing. The same old shoes, my, my sister who is eight years older, we talked the other day. She said, I cannot imagine how we walked in those little thin shoes in that freezing snow and ice. And she said, I cannot even think about it. So she, she doesn't want me to go around talking. She says, why are you talking about it? There were lots of dead animals, dead horses, dead dogs, cats. So you just ate raw meat, a little bit of that. Many times we would be allowed to go to a stable and rest. Sometimes we were lucky to have clean straw, sometimes it was soiled. But we were almost in Prague, Czechoslovakia. This is where we were heading, because Prague, Czechoslovakia was already occupied by the Germans, and we felt safe to go there. While we were almost in Prague, Czechoslovakia, up here through those mountains, there was a family. I don't know. People did not want us. When we knocked on some doors, they hated us. They said, go away, you know. We were diseased, we were filthy. We had body lice, we had head lice. We had, some people had boils. My mother had boils on her feet, I think about Job. I mean, terrible from walking like this, and typhus because of the, the terrible conditions. And so, but then one day, this family literally stood there in front of the door and welcomed, welcomed us in. I still don't understand it to this day. They were farmers, and the first thing this one, one lady did, she wasn't a lady, she was just a, what do you call it, hired hand, strong, sort of dirty, picked me up and lifted me to the ceiling, and oh, yeah, you know. And they were having thinned down buttermilk and some potatoes mostly. 
black potatoes, rotten potatoes, but they shared with us and it was wonderful. They stripped us of our clothes, gave us something, I don't remember, I just know that they gave me some kind of pants, I was walking and falling over it, but they dried it on this little round belly stove and in the morning they gave us a little something to eat and sent us away. They also gave me <coughs> a doll like this. This is doll number two. It's a little uh, Black Forest costume doll. And so when I was leaving, uh, they gave me that. Did they have to say, little girl, I'm giving you this to show love, you know. Never forget I showed you love. Action, right? Sometimes we get offended. I did all this for her, and I didn't get one thank you. You do it out of love, and don't expect the thank you. God knows what you're doing. I've seen sisters give up. They went two, three times, and they said, I'm not going anymore. I'm so tired. They never acknowledge it. They never thank me. I don't know if I thank them. But I have never forgotten the love they showed us. And this is what I said earlier. I think this is one of the reasons why I did, did not become bitter or disappointed in people. Through God's grace, I was allowed to see love. Then we came to Prague, <coughs> Czechoslovakia, and the German soldiers were there and they put us in castles. First of all, the, uh, the Czechoslovakians on the street were just, oh, throwing things at us and calling us names because we invaded the country, naturally. We were guilty. And we were in, in the rooms of the castle, probably not that big, but I would say these two sections and maybe these two sections do. And they just put in as many people as they could and locked the doors. We were quarantined because we were already all diseased. So you sit down, you have still the wet clothes, but at least you can sit down and you didn't have to walk anymore. Once a day, soup would come up on ropes through the castle windows. At night, we would tie dead bodies, the ones who died during the day, and our human waste on ropes and lower it down again to be received. It was very sad to see your loved ones being piled on horse and buggy drone things. I think that's all it was at the time. And taken away. Many times I was told, I did not see that I was too, too little and I didn't watch, but I was told that many times when they watched the human waste going down in those buckets, they just say they swished it around with a little water and then put the soup in the bucket and, and it came up, you know. When Corrie Ten Boom <coughs> told her sister, when they were in a concentration camp, thank you God, for the people here, because they smuggled in the Bible. And she said, so many more people can read the Bible now. Give thanks for it. But Corrie had no problem. She said, she was, she was uh, from the Netherlands. You call it Holland or Dutch country. 
And so she said, thank you, God. Well, then everybody had fleas, like we had lies. In my book, I said, thank you, God, for lies. Corrie ten Boom was told to say, thank you, God, for fleas. She couldn't. And later on, her sister died in the concentration camp. But later on, Corrie understood why. They were constantly searched. They would have found the Bible, shot them on the spot. They were raping women. When they had fleas, they were infested with them. They left them alone. And so then she understood why we could have said, thank you, God, for fleas. So my question is, since we are talking about trials, what is your flea? What is your, what is your Laos, whatever? I remember we had nothing to do in, in, those, in, in those castles. So you go crazy. People vomit, people have diarrhea, people, we are hungry, we are filthy. But people invented games. I remember one time uh, there, there were some, some fleas and, and lies that my mother combed down. And they they'd issued us some combs to light for our lies. And my mother happened to just count. Five, six, today, seven. Somebody heard and said, you got seven? Oh, I've got ten. Wow, you are the winner. And before you knew it, they were making games out of having lies. And the, the crazier they got, the better they survived. Read books on POWs in, in Vietnam and all, how they survived because they acted crazy. After a while, we survived. My father wasn't with us, and that's another story. My father couldn't be with us. But we did see him one time. We were in a loft, and my grandfather went down to smoke a pipe, and he saw my father. He was looking for us. But my father had jurisdiction over other people and could not take care of us. And uh, my grandfather said, Matilda, Matilda, he came back up. On, on the ladder. I saw Edward. Well, rather than call him, he was so overwhelmed. It reminds me of, you know, when Peter came from jail and knocked on the door and the girl wouldn't open the door. She said, well, no, it cannot be. And I, many times I say, they prayed for Peter's, Peter's relief. Why did they not believe that he was at the door, you know? But my grandfather was the same way. He just, no. And so my mother ran down. I, I don't know how she made it down this the ladder. She probably jumped the last six, seven steps. But we found my father, and he says, my people that I'm taking care of are in terrible condition. We have nowhere to go, nothing. But we had this nice barn and, and warm, you know. And so Papa said, stay, stay here. I, I'll meet you later. Well, we didn't see him till way after, after the war. <clears throat> then signs were getting, going up saying, <clears throat> German people go home, the war is over. So this time, we didn't have to walk every day. Uh, sometimes the farmers would get the horses back and buggies and maybe give us a little ride. And it was May, it wasn't so freezing cold anymore. And sometimes uh, there was a train, cattle train. And that's another claustrophobia, <laughs> claustrophobia story because you are in that train locked from the outside, days sometimes. 
There was nobody there waiting for you at this station or this station. <laughs> so you would designate again a corner of human waste and dead bodies and wait till the, somebody comes and opens the door. I have some pictures here of, of such conditions in, in the trains. Uh, some pe Polish people who came to <clears throat> see us raped people. And I have a picture of that. Some, some Red Cross workers might have brought a little warm water for us with sugar. I don't know. But we made it home. And our, our houses were destroyed. We lost the war. According to the Yalta upcoming, the Poles were coming in on us. And so I became a little Polak. <laughs> Very soon we had to accept the Polish citizenship. My names were changed from Dietlinde Degenhardt to Eleonora Pietrowska. I had no say so. I remember when people came to see us, I, I would say, you know what my new name is? I had it somewhere there tucked away. I am Eleonora now. I never went by the name Eleonora Pietrowska, except in, in documents, in school and all. But I was always called Linja. So I was Linja. As long as, as I acted Polish and spoke Polish and ran around with Polish friends, everybody forgot that perhaps I was German. But once a year we had to go and look at the pictures of the Dachau and Oświęcim and all the concentration camps. That's when they remembered I'm German. I was kicked, spit upon, mistreated. But very quickly I decided if I'm going to have to live under communism, I'm going to be the best communist I can. Because even as, at a young age, I could see the injustices the big politics, politicians had apartments and even a little food or maybe a change of clothes. We had nothing. You had a pair of shoes, you wore it, summer and winter. There was nothing there. You fought for gloves, for a scarf. You stood in line six, eight hours to get a little flour, a little sugar. Uh, I never had a banana at all till I came to West Germany at 19. I had one rotten orange one time. When I was maybe 14, they got a shipment and we had one orange and oh, I remember how we just licked on it and smelled it for days. So these were terrible times. And we, first of all, when we came back, we had nowhere to live. Nobody wanted us, so we were under the bridges. We were sometimes two nights with somebody, then again somewhere else in a stable. But one time, a, a, a nice widow took us in, and we, I think we stayed there six months. And I learned a lot about animals, cows and chickens, because she had a farm. And so this was a nice, nice break for me in, in my life there. But then my father decided to look for work and went uh, to another city called Guhawaze, a beautiful place, a spa, and he worked there very shortly, building up the bridges. And my father was extremely accurate and precise. And I always thought it was a real accident, but my sister told me no. She said, my papa, they were putting in a beam, a new beam, and a young boy was there 
and he did not put the beam right. And my father says, you need to straighten it out. But before my father could say it, the beam almost fell on the boy. But my father rushed and saved the boy, and he lost his leg. And gangrene set in and immediately. They cut it off with a regular saw and had to cut it real high. So he never could fit into prosthesis, nothing. For years in Poland, there was no penicillin, no pain medicine. I remember my father screaming with pus out of his leg and just terrible conditions. But then my father and my mother were offered to work in a school. She, my mother was cooking, my father was a janitor. Well, it was very hard since he lost the leg. We tried, there were three of us siblings. We tried to take care of two school buildings, you know, stoves that had to be lit and cleaned later, the coal and all, and the kindling, and it was so much work. And we finally couldn't do it. So that's when we went to, to the spa city, and we made it. My father had three strokes, could not work. I went after school, tried to help him and ride, and, but he finally had to give it up. My mother had two jobs, cleaning, we couldn't speak the language, okay? I, I did as a child, I learned. But my mother and my father couldn't speak Polish. So they couldn't take any other jobs except menu. And so when they, they, my mother cleaned and the young boys from school were naturally Polish people hating the Germans. I understand that. They would soil the floor, everything, and, and made my mother clean. My father was uh, betrayed by a lot of people and taken to prison, tortured for about three years. They would take him, let him go out. And when they brought him back from the prison, they always knew where we are, either at somebody's or under the bridge or wherever we lived. And they would drop him in front of us, beat up, bleeding, and they would say, but you, you may not go and help him. So he had to lay there all day and at night, he's, they said, you now may go and get him. And that happened over and over for three years. And as Mary said, when we came back from Prague, Czechoslovakia, uh, some people elected not to leave. And those are the people who stayed and plundered. And so our Persian rugs we saw, and my sister's baby stroller, and the bike, like Mary said, all this. And when we said, oh, thank you for saving this for us, no, this is, this is ours. So we had nothing, practically nothing, for, for years, even, I would say almost two years. I don't remember having a, a change of clothes or shoes that fit because th there was nothing. You have to read about communism. I mean, it was terrible for many years. But one bright light. When we were so hungry, we got care packages. You sweet people sent care packages. I did not read English then, I called them Kari. And you know, it was years since I've been in America, and it finally dawned on me, you say care, and I know what care means. <laughs> but I always said Kari. You send peanut butter, milk, condensed milk, and cheddar cheese. Well, I love cheddar cheese, I still like condensed milk, but peanut butter I very seldom eat, because you had all day long, sometimes, nothing but peanut butter. 
and you had nothing to drink because the, all the water was contaminated. So you went all day long, you know. So, but it filled your stomach. And I hate to gross you out, ladies, but when you vomit, worms, when you vomit them with peanut butter, it's so much better than with nothing. I had tapeworms. Well, enough of that. <laughs> Terrible conditions. But then the indoctrination came. I started going to school, and as I said, I, I saw all the big politicians having a better life than we had. We had nothing. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be one of them. That's, I'm going to save my family. And I was. I was a leader of young people. I made them march and recite communist slogans and everything. So when finally there came a chance that we could go to the West, and I, I don't have time to tell you why and what, my father decided we want to go. Well, they let us go because we had all the possessions there that they wanted to make right. But also, we went, my father said, I am an invalid, I'm no good to you. My mother had heart trouble. Uh, by that time, I developed uh, tuberculosis in my knee, spent six months in the hospital, so they said, okay, go. And a lot of bribes. We just worked for nothing but bribes, bribes. Every time we checked where we are on the list, we were on the top and then back on the bottom because they wanted more bribes. And you never knew from one day to the next, when you're going to leave. You did not know if, if you can sell the little furniture you still had or, or what to do. But finally the day came. My parents had to tell me. They kept it very quiet because I was red. And they were afraid that I would betray them. They, when I walked in the room, there was silence, you know. They didn't trust me. And I said, yeah, I'll go with you, but I'm coming back. I'll just go and settle you, and I'm coming back. I told all my friends, my boyfriends, wait for me, or I'll be back. So we went and sold what we could. Well, we never had so much money. Even, they were pennies, but we thought we were rich. My brother says, let's just hire a, a taxi and ask them to drive 100 kilometers an hour, and we just drove everywhere to just, just really celebrate. We celebrated so much that when we, we did make it here to the train station, but here is where we're supposed to have gone through the east to the west. We were almost five minutes late, and they waited on us that long. But can you imagine what would have happened had we missed the train? We had to go back to nothing. My mother. She whipped me with everything in her hand. I mean, I think she had an umbrella. She hit my head. She took a coat off and whipped me with it. And my brother, I mean, I can understand that. It was terrible what we did to my mother. But my brother just grinned the whole time. He'd never been in a car before. We went 100 kilometers an hour in a Warsaw, which Warsaw is the capital city of Poland, and that's how they named the car, the only car that Poland had. Then we came, and I had a boyfriend, and I thought he was my friend, but he was a spy. Every time 
we were having our luggage here, he would, I look and my luggage was gone, a little bit. He did not want us to take that train. But we made it, and then we came to East Germany. They stripped us of anything we still had that they thought was valuable. My brother had a violin that was valuable, and they took that away from him. And they called us names, you're opportunists, and traitors, and all that. But my mother didn't care, and I just sat there, you know, didn't say anything. Came to West Germany, and they were playing the national anthem, and they gave us coffee. My mother never had bean coffee since the end of the war. Just regular, whatever you call that coffee. We call it the ersatz coffee, substitute coffee. My mother has now bean coffee and bananas, and they're singing in German for us and welcoming us. And I just said, yeah, just wait. It's not going to end that way. Sure enough, we went to two camps and indoctrinated and got a new name. Suddenly, Dietlinde, you're not Linja anymore. You are again Dietlinde Degenhardt. Act that way. Speak German. In Poland, we were kicked and spit upon and mistreated for speaking German. Now it's the reverse. Don't speak Polish, speak German, Dietlinde. Well, I knew German, but like a seven-year-old one. And we spoke, then they came, they ripped my, my hair open, they lifted my dress, gave me shots, looked for, for anything. They thought, since we were in Poland, we didn't have any soap, we were just filthy and stupid and un, un, unfeeling. They were treated us terribly. They put us on open trucks finally, and we went to a village. Mary knows where it was. And so we were there in Laufersweiler, and uh, two sisters lived there. They didn't want refugees. I, I, I wouldn't want any refugees in my house today, if I'm honest. So one had a room upstairs, and one had a, some for horses, just a, a stable for horses. And they converted that for a kitchen for us. And when we got there, there was one chair, like a wicker chair, and my father sat in it and went through the floor. It was rotten. That's, that's the welcome we got. Cold, we were driving on open trucks for four or five hours. I had no coat, nothing, freezing. Stood in front of the big gate. I don't have my third book anymore, it got lost. But in my third book, I said, the day we faced the iron gate. You're so tired, you're so hungry, you are so cold, and you stand there in the front of that gate and nobody comes to welcome you. And then they show you into that room that you knew was a horse place a few days ago, and nothing. So with my limited German, I ran to the mayor's office. I asked somebody where is the mayor's office, and I told them, that's a shame. And, and, and the way you're treating us, and we need some fire, and we need some food. And so they finally brought. Somebody brought a little coal, somebody brought two potatoes, and I was happy. I said to my parents, see, I told you so. I told you so. Everything you were told about West Germany were lies. Well, the lies were on me. I was so indoctrinated. So much I need to say. I have notes, but I don't know what time do I supposed to quit?
11.15. Yeah, I have a few more minutes. Uh, but I, I had to redo all my education, learn the German language, be a Westerner. So I had to go to a rehabilitation school. I loved that school. It was in the, in the woods, had wonderful friends, memories. We were not allowed to speak Polish. We had to pay money. They gave us little allowance, maybe like a dollar a week. Well, they charge us five cents if you speak, spoke Polish, so we did not want that. So we learned German very quickly, very fast. And you had evidence everywhere of freedom, of prosperity. And I finally realized after six months or so that everything I was told were lies, that it was not at all true what they were telling me. And little by little, I became a Westerner. I had to go redo my schooling. I had to do all my high school graduation again. High school in Germany is like college. It's called gymnasium. You learn five languages and big courses, and so I had to redo that. I went to school, and, and then I came back and started working for the Americans in the ammunition depot. You have no idea how they searched me and tried me, and ah, months. I got the job, but months they were investigating. First of all, I was German. Then I was from East Germany, you know, and all that. Well, we settled. They gave us one more little room, and we got little money. We bought a little chair and, and a little furniture, and, and it was beginning to be better. And then my brother came one time. He lived separately because he was engaged to be married, and so he wanted his own apartment. And he came and he said, you know, there's a big German-American friendship evening that i like for us to go to. And I was dating my, the school teacher that I was in the school. And I decided on that night that, that I will end the relationship. And I, I mean, my eyes were red and swollen. And I told this, my brother, Dita, I cannot go anywhere. Look at me. He says, oh, you'll be fine. Put some cold compressors on your eyes and you'll be fine. We need to take our sister. Because at that time, I was 20 almost. She was 28. She needs to find some nice men. And so we need to go. Well, I said, OK. We went. The minute we sat down, this tall, blonde, good-looking guy got up, bowed, said in German, Guten Abend, good evening. I said, wow, that's the perfect match for my sister. So I went away because, you know, I draw attention to myself. I do. And so I did not want him to look at me. So I was gone the whole time. And three hours or four hours later, my, I came back just to see what's happening. My sister says, he wants our phone number. I said, tell him we don't have any phone. We were poor as a church mouse. I mean, so poor. We still didn't eat enough. I was always hungry. Because if we ate enough, then I couldn't buy a fork and a knife or a pair of shoes. So I said, tell him we have no phone. I said, give him your address. He won't show up. 
So she gave him my address. Next day I see this Bavarian Jägerhut hat, a feather sticking out. There is somebody at the door. I said, I think that is this guy, Raymond. And uh, she says, well, go open the door. I said, no, it's your boyfriend. Go open the door. So she did. It took me weeks before I really knew if Raymond was German or American because he spoke fine German, acted German with German mannerisms and dressed sort of like a German Bavarian guy and took my sister out for about two and a half months, maybe three, and then he dated me and I married him. <laughs> so. And then Raymond says, you need to come to America with me. I told Mary last night, I said, or oh, maybe Donna, I don't know who I told. I don't know what made me go to America. I just came back I, from Poland. I just learned the language. I just renewed my school. I was just as accepted. And now you want me to go to another country, learn another language, have people that I don't know, when I loved my family dearly. What made me go? I don't know. Yeah, I do know. I think it was God's providence. God brought me here because I would have not chosen to come. Oh, I always loved Americans, you know, care packages. And I said, oh, I want to go and see them. And they gave me streptomycin for my knee. Otherwise, I would have lost my leg. But I got shots. People in Chicago gave me that. So I love the American people. One day I'll go and see it, but not to live, not to marry. Well, Raymond was like a steam machine. Push, push. We are going, we're going to marry. So finally, I said, well, maybe we can get engaged on my birthday in April. Well, I think we got engaged on the 17th of February because Raymond came home and said, you know, there is a friendship evening at my, my company, at my squadron, and nobody is allowed to come except uh, husbands, wives, and engaged people. So we might as well get engaged so I can take you. The Germans engage with, with bands. When you're engaged, you wear your band on your left hand. When you're married, you wear it on your right hand. No diamonds, nothing like that. So we went to look at bands. Oh, it fit like, why don't you keep it on? That was our engagement. No kneeling down, no big love of, Confession, nothing. Well, let's have it. So now we are engaged. And six months later, we married. And again, because of all what was going on in the world, it was very, very hard, very stressful. But we, we, bent, we went to Bavaria for honeymoon, and I want you to please look, take the time. There are a lot of places where you might be... Uh, anxious to see about Hitler, where Hitler lived, where the party started and all this, his houses before the war and then they destroyed them. I have a few up here also on the table uh, that didn't fit on that. So look at the thing. Uh, I have a picture on the assassination attempt. A lot of people are asking me, why did the Germans never do anything? German people did after they woke up, too late. By that time, Hitler shot you on the spot if you, dis, you know, disagreed with him. But there were some. There were seven assassinations attempt, to my knowledge. They all didn't work. But then this one finally worked 
the, the, the count had the bomb placed and another soldier came and moved it a little bit. Had he not moved it, it was right under Hitler's feet and Hitler would have been killed. But it destroyed the, the building and Hitler had a tremor forever and he was furious. He hung 500 of his generals and, and, and officers on meat hooks. I have pictures of that i like for you to look. On either meat hooks or piano wires, he was furious and then he sat there, watched them suffer for hours while they were hanging. Uh, the count was shot immediately. The families, were, the, fa the children were taken away from the wives, the, the husbands got killed, the wives went to jail, the children were indoctrinated into the Nazi party. Terrible conditions. So the German people did do something, but they woke up too late. Too late. Let us not be too late, ladies. I constantly say, now, today, it's not enough to call the White House or write like I used to tell people to do. That's not enough anymore. You have to act. You got to be active. You have to take a stand and fight for, for what is right. And I'm so proud of the teachers now who are looking at all the books and they said, we're not allowing these books in the library. Terrible books. You need to take action because it's not going to be like this forever in America, ladies. It's not. God has blessed us 200 years. Do you think he's going to bless us 200 more years? And why do you think you should bless us? Because we are better than those poor Ukrainians or the, or the people somewhere else in the third world country? We're not. I don't know why he's blessing us. Maybe our laws were still based on God's law. But we are losing it. We, our laws are not anymore based on God's law. So how long is God going to bless us? You need to take action and protest. We still have the freedom. When I came to America, I thought I am absolutely in a utopia. It was wonderful. I loved the people. And people were patriotic and flags were flying everywhere. And I never heard a national anthem being played before a ball game. And oh, it was just marvelous. My father brought a huge plate of <coughs> chicken. We never, I had not had chicken in Poland probably just one time. I don't know if I had it. Fried chicken. And he says, here, eat some more. I said, another piece? Like I said, till then I was always hungry. Another piece. Strawberries in the winter. Tomatoes in the winter. Toilet paper, so soft and nice. I, I thought, really, I, I'm just in paradise. I told my friends in Poland, and they said, stop writing because you're just lying. And when I told my family, they didn't believe it either. My sister came two years later to investigate because she couldn't believe it either. What we have in America, the blessings, the freedoms, I loved it, and I fly my flag, and I try to be patriotic. Raymond was in the Air Force, like Mary's husband. Very patriotic. My daughter got her medical degree in the Air Force. So I hope something rubbed off of us, that, that we, the patriotism is in our children. But I had shoes, and my mother-in-law says, try some shoes on, see if, you, if they fit. So she went to the attic, 
and brought, I don't know, probably 20 pairs of shoes down. Liter I literally lost it. I said, how can anybody have that many shoes? I made packages, my mother-in-law paid, church people helped me pay. I sent packages to Poland over and over because they had nothing. My poor mama, she hid things from me because, I mean, everything she had was too much for me. Her bathroom maybe was pink. You know, the towers were pink and maybe the little rugs were pink. Raymond went to Biloxi back into Air Force. It's another story, without asking me, without telling me, but it worked out okay. And while he was in Biloxi and I was visiting him, I came and she, she had yellow. I said, Mom, what ever happened to the pretty uh, pink? Oh, I just got, got tired of it, you know? I just got tired of it. Had to change. These things were beyond me. When you grew up rich, but then you were so poor that you never had anything, and suddenly somebody just, because I don't like the color anymore, oh, I'm tired of it. It was beyond me. Now I'm doing the same thing. Same thing. But now I, I, I want to do something. And then I take 15 minutes or 10 minutes for my conversion and you'll be dismissed. But I would like for you to do me a favor and stand up and sing God Bless America with me. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans wide with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home. Thank you. Be seated and give me a few more minutes. Uh, my parents uh, professed to be Lutheran, but we, we didn't worship hardly at all. I, I do remember going to services maybe once or twice, then I misbehaved and they didn't take me anymore. But there was no, no religious uh, talk in my family, no prayers. The only prayer we ever had is once a year at Christmas Eve when my father prayed Holy Jesus, come and be our guest and bless us and what you gave us. That was the only prayer I ever heard in my house. When I was about nine and 10, the school was here and the Catholic church building was next to it. I went hopscotch, is that the word? A hopscotch outside and the priest saw me and every time I was there, he says, you little Poganin, he said, you're a little unbeliever, you're a little pagan. You need to come and, and, and become a Catholic. I said, I am not, I, I'm Lutheran. And there were no Lutheran churches in Poland. All the Polish people turned the Lutheran church buildings into museums. 
the Polish people are 99% non-Catholic. So I never paid attention to it. And finally, they bugged me so much. I said, well, what would I have to do? He said, well, come, I'll teach you. I'll teach you Catholicism, and I'll tell you a, lot, a little bit about the Catholic religion. Come, and you, you'll have fun. So I learned to bless myself. I learned all the, the saints, and there are hundreds of them. I didn't learn them all, but a lot. But I remember one of my famous uh, saints was Saint Christopher, because he's supposed to be the saint of the water, and then Anthony. And I lost things all the time. And so I went to kneel in front of Anthony, and I said, Anthony, you better find me my five cents or whatever. I'll come back from school, and I better have the five cents. That's how I talked. Well, I never found my five cents. But nobody taught me much. Just the catechism, you do this, you do this on this Sunday, you do this on this Sunday. No personal relationship in Jesus. Note that Jesus was my savior, nothing. I went to confession and they gave me a book, how to confess. I said every sin in that book that I committed because if you went, I don't know if it's still like this in the Catholic religion, but if you went to communion and had a sin, you were condemned. So I said, if I confess it all, if I take communion, then at least I won't go to hell. So one of the sins was a sexual sin, but it was written in such a way, I did not know, I didn't understand it, I was so naive. This says, have you ever done anything in, in secret of which you would be afraid to tell your parents? Well, sure, how many times have I done that? Did you ever touch an opposite sex? Listen, I whipped boys, I fought my way, everything. I touched the boys all the time. And so I, I just, and how many times a week do you do that? I said, oh, it depends, you know, sometimes five times and sometimes two maybe. Here I was. 11 years old, and he, the priest looked at me. I, I, they're not supposed to see you, but he took that, that little curtain, looked at me, and he probably said, here goes the smallest little hmm in town. But every time I went to confession, I got the biggest penalties. I had to burn candles, and, and I said, I don't have money for a candle. And Holy Mary is 10. I said, how many did you get, two? And I mean, I just got it all. But the, the worst thing was when I just said, is this, is this all that there is? Why am I not fulfilled? What is God? I would ask about God or something, but never got any answers. <clears throat> when I went to the deprogramming school, uh, it was Lutheran. So they told me, hey, D. Linda, on your birth certificate, it says you're Lutheran. You need to go to Lutheran. Bible class and, and services. I said, no, I'm Catholic. But sometimes I went. Ladies, you have no idea, and be patient with people with whom you study. You have no idea how afraid I was the first time I even went to the Lutheran church. The first time I took communion without confessing. 
When I came home, the first time I didn't pray to Holy Mary, I just sort of turned her little statue around. I thought I'd die the night. Well, nothing happened. So next night I didn't pray to her, I put in a drawer. And nothing happened. But then anything bad that would happen in my house, I blamed on that. Very, very scared, very, I mean, unnerving. But finally, I, uh, I, I knew better. I finally got to see a Bible. I never had a Bible. And they showed me in the Bible. And as little as I knew, I could tell that what they're reading to me was so much closer than what I learned in the Catholic Church. So finally, after a lot of study in the Lutheran Church, I uh, was confirmed. Well, very shortly after this is when Raymond entered our house. And the first thing he said is, may I invite you to go to worship with me? I said, are you Catholic? He said, no. I said, good, then you, then, you are, then you are Protestant. He says, no. My father was sitting there, and my mother too, and I said, oh no. Here he is every day drinking our coffee, all that. I said, there's nothing but left, but is he Jewish? I said, are you Jewish? He says, no, I'm not Jewish. I said, then you're Catholic. No. I said, then you're Protestant.